Welcome to First Thought, a podcast by Galway International Arts Festival. I'm your host, Katrina Crow, curator of the First Thought Talks series. This episode was recorded in September 2020 as part of Galway International Arts Festival's Autumn Edition, which took place against the backdrop of COVID-19 and marked a return to Galway's Black Box Theatre for the first time since March. Inevitably, live events look very different this year. For some talks, we were joined by a socially distanced audience. Others went out to online-only audiences. We thank you now for joining us here on the podcast and becoming yet another member of our extended audience. The first Thought Talk series at GIAF's 2020 Autumn Edition were presented in association with NUI Galway. Welcome to the first Thought Talk strand of the Galway International Arts Festival Autumn Edition. This unusual version of the festival is taking place against the backdrop of the COVID-19 epidemic, which has hit arts events particularly harshly. A lot of people have lost their livelihoods. Beautiful venues like this have been left uh, closed for months on end. So we're very proud to be able to present a varied and interesting festival and to embed our wonderful speakers for first thought within it. A very warm welcome to our online viewers joining us live for each of the talks. Remember, you can watch them all later on the GIAF uh, channels, YouTube or Facebook, and also on the GIAF website, and listen to them on the GIAF podcast series. First Thought Talks are presented in partnership with NUI Galway, the festival's education partner. Brexit and the North is the subject of our discussion this morning, and it has become suddenly extremely topical because if there's one thing that Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings are very good at, it's catastrophic disruption (laughs) and massive attention-seeking, and both have happened in the last few days. So Brexit is back with a bang. Everyone had forgotten about it. We were all taken up with the pandemic and the American elections and a whole lot of other things. And suddenly it is now front and center again, particularly and perilously for Northern Ireland. The majority in Northern Ireland voted to remain in the EU, but has failed to insist on a course which is arguably very much in its best interests. What are the divisions within Northern society that have led to the current situation? And how will Brexit play out for the different communities there? To deal with these questions and more, we have Glenn Patterson, novelist, journalist, author of The Wonderful Backstop Land, which I heartily recommend to you, and fashion icon, and Claire <laughs> Hanna, SDLP MP for Belfast South, elected uh, very recently. Claire has been with us in Galway before, uh, and she's always been a wonderful contributor to our talks. And it's always important to remember that the SDLP still exists and is a force for great good in Northern Ireland. And John Hume's recent death cast a spotlight on precisely how important the party was in the uh, run-up to the Good Friday Agreement. Dave O'Connell, eminent editor of the Connacht Tribune, will moderate the discussion. Thank you. Thanks, Katrina. I'm going to let you into a secret, first of all. I thought when I was looking at this during the week that it might be a bit dull, that not a lot has happened in the meantime. So I actually have Boris's number, and I thought, is there anything you could do during the week that might help us along and maybe give this a new impetus and see uh, where we're going from all of that? Because it had taken a backseat to COVID uh, for so long. I'm just wondering, is there any real uh, progress um, ahead of the deadline for the trade agreement? So 
thanks to Boris, he, he lent us a hand. He, he said uh, he'll make this the breaking news story. In fact, I thought we should put it up over the screen because this could change over the next hour. Uh, so his plan to rewrite the protocol for apparently uh, no greater reason than he didn't really understand what he was doing in the first place uh, and he thought he'd have another go at it again now. And uh, this morning, in case we hadn't enough going on already, uh, he has accused the EU of effectively uh, planning a food blockade of Northern Ireland. So, uh, Claire Hannah, um, you've been, you've watched these shenanigans uh, up close. Sorry, I should say, I'm not looking into middle distance. Claire is in front of us as well as behind us. Claire is uh, everywhere. Here, so, um, I'm not. Claire, just... can I just say, I've, I've had lunch with Claire every single day this week because uh, she's been on the radio almost constantly uh, <laughs> talking about this. Uh, and and uh, uh, my nightcap is also with uh, Claire, usually on Newslight, uh, Newsnight, so um, it's good to see you. That's more information than I thought we would get, <laughs> that, uh, that Claire and Glenn are, are, are enjoying in. nightcaps together. <laughs> I, I should also, on the basis of full disclosure, tell you that uh, Glenn was at a, a wedding in Canada yesterday, but unlike our former EU commissioner, uh, he did, or a wedding anniversary, he did this remotely, so you're all, uh, you're all okay on that. And in fairness to Claire, the reason that she's not with us is because she was in Westminster uh, during the week and therefore is observing the rules. She also doesn't play golf, so she didn't see uh, any great point in, in coming down to Galway, actually, which is where she's from, because Claire is a native of, of Barna. But the, the point that I, I wanted to make, Claire, is, is this just a man who's kind of stumbling around in a very dark room uh, and wondering, can he find a way out of, of this? Or is it just the, the kind of sabre-rattling that we might anticipate ahead of what will undoubtedly be the most crucial phase of these talks? So I think it's a combination of both. I, I don't think Boris Johnson is particularly a man for, for the strategy. I think he, he um, and my limited direct interactions with him, he is kind of what you see. He is sort of shambling in the moment, reflecting the last person he, he heard. But I do think there is a, 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 a coterie, um, you know, around Cummings and Gove and others uh, within the government um, that have historically been, well, anti-EU and anti the kind of cooperation uh, concepts, anti-devolution, anti-Good Friday Agreement, very explicitly uh, in Gove's case. Um, this, I mean, I think it's very clear this move, people will understand, isn't really anything to do with the Northern Ireland Protocol, which, you know, as you say, it's got into the boring. We spent the last few months, my committee in Westminster has been, you know, all about the exit summary declarations and the, the paperwork aspects and finding it um, to make trade unfettered. Uh, and uh, ostensibly, the bill is about, you know, protecting consumers here and protecting peace, but it isn't. I mean, it kind of, uh, you know, it goes into some of the stuff around state aid, but even that is a bit of a fig leaf really it's about ensuring there's absolutely no jurisdiction uh, of the eu so i don't think that johnson himself know uh, that this is any master stroke you know because he has made very clear he he signed something in haste last year in fact he pushed for it so he has you know fatally on mind again any reputation he might have had for, for competence um so no i think it's kind of madman theory you know do anything and 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 unnerve people and and keep people uh, not understanding what you're at. Yeah, I mean, Glenn, w when you think about this, whichever way you look at it, either he, he didn't think this through properly or he glossed over this. Uh, neither augurs well for his, his, uh, his knowledge in this and what's going to happen going forward. It doesn't, and, and I think um, it's pretty clear um, if, you, if you look at what was said, actually, if you look at what was being said by various of the people who were around uh, Johnson, even at the time that uh, the agreement was being signed, uh, that there was always um, this, this suggestion that they could go back to it at some stage and they would, they would fix it, or, uh, as it turns out, 
try to ignore it. Um, and I mean, it, it is really one of those things that every time you think that uh, you've seen the worst, something uh, even more uh, shocking happens. Probably the, be the best, and if I say the best, I don't mean the, the most sane um, thing that I've read uh, comes from Robert Peston, who is sane, uh, ITV's uh, correspondent, uh, Robert Peston, who said that, um, that some of the people around uh, Johnson, and particularly uh, Dominic Cummings, uh, were obsessed with the fourth industrial revolution, with um, uh, artificial intelligence, with uh, high tech, um, and all things digital, and this uh, idea, this uh, obsession that if you're not leading it, then you are um, mastered by it, and that they would do almost anything to ensure that um, uh, the UK, by which um, uh, they mean Great Britain, it's quite clear, they're not thinking of Northern Ireland, um, is uh, keeping up with the US and China. Um, so this stuff around state aid um, is according to Robert Peston's reading of it, um, them trying to make sure that um, they can actually um, uh, prime uh, any of those um, digital and high-tech industries uh, in the UK. Okay, and, and I, I want to come can, to that can because... I just, yeah, it's clear, yeah. Oh, I did, when I well, say... No, when no, I, say no, that's I just a, wanted... Uh, yeah. I would just want to because that's exactly, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I'm not very good at all the kind of Kremlinology of what they're up to, but I think that's a really good analysis of, of, of uh, where it's coming from. But of course, again, it's either a misunderstanding or a red herring because you don't need to be, I mean, look at Germany spends four times what the UK spends on state aid generally. We've just had, you know, billions and billions, hundreds of billions through, uh, you know, furlough and so on. And if you think you have to leave uh, the EU to support tech industries, you know, come down, you don't. Uh, so, so I think that is what they're at. But again, it's either a misunderstanding or a misdirection. And isn't, I mean, aren't we in the South the case in hand on this with our corporation tax, which has been the envy of, of uh, many countries uh, over the years on this front. But it, it strikes me, and maybe this is being overly kind on this, that there had to be a degree of ambiguity about the protocol in the first instance in order to get it past that first base. So is there, is there a question of kind of filling in the gaps that they had left in this? I mean, or is that being extremely kind and again, uh, crediting these people with a strategy or a level of uh, strategic planning that they shouldn't be entitled to? Well, I mean, th there was always going to be, you know, a, a fundamental circle that required to be squared that basically if uh, if there's different regulations and in, 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 in the protocol, it was supposed to be, you know, we stay within the orbit of the EU, so different regulations in Northern Ireland and the whole island of Ireland. And if they were going to diverge, and by the way, we still haven't really ever heard on what they want to diverge, just that they want to be different, but um, for, for Britain. So there was always going to have to be, uh, you know, a barrier somewhere. And of course, you know, we know we spent the last four years discussing where it would go and down the island, down the Irish Sea, while far from perfect. And, and I say, I, I, I deeply regret that it went anywhere. It's more practical than on, on the island of Ireland. But yeah, so there was, a, as I say, a lot of finessing uh, around kind of, you know, limiting the goods that would be deemed at risk or the checks that would have to be done and, you know, all that checks away from the border and so on. So, you know, some of that could have been dialed down and would have been dialed down. And there was a wee bit of give and take uh, going to be had and required in, in, in the negotiations. And there were things that the EU, you know, could be persuaded, I think, to loosen up on, et cetera, et cetera. And that was happening 
albeit the, the, the UK were kind of engaging at a very superficial level. So it was possible to do that. It's not possible to completely make it frictionless, you know, if there is a big divergence. But, um, you know, th that was happening and that was going and the negotiations were intensifying. But you lob a grenade like this in and it blows the trust out of the negotiation and it makes it very, very difficult to see how the EU could give that give and take. Well, it's kind of now, Glenn, that, uh, excuse the phrase, but that a gun is being put to their head on this, and it has ramped it up to an extraordinary extent. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was not meant to be But anyway, sorry, I should say before, um, uh, we will have time for questions from the audience here and also from the audience at home, so uh, please feel free uh, to contribute on that. But uh, do you take that point that the, it, it almost, I suppose, to inject this reality, uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand, when you give some a deadline, mm -hmm. I, I, and I say this as a journalist, you see that as the limit, not the target. So it's always going to go to the wire on this. We're fairly much down to the wire now, mm -hmm. and perhaps it needed some injection of maybe too much reality. Uh, is, there, is there any merit in that? I don't, do you know um, uh, Gary Lineker? Um, Gary Lineker's uh, description of uh, football, which is football is a simple game, 22 people, 22 people run around the field after a ball for 90 minutes and then the Germans always win. Um, I think in Brexit, it's uh, 28 countries uh, trade talks, uh, 28 countries meet for uh, months and months on end and then Northern Ireland loses. Um, I think that whatever, one of these big statements, uh, these preposterous uh, suggestions is nearly always followed by something um, that leaves Northern Ireland uh, slightly worse off than it would have been previously. So um, I'm doubly anxious when I hear things like this from uh, the Conservative government. Um, I, 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 I just, I really don't pretend to know exactly what is going on uh, in their minds. I think this is really, this is all speculation, whether it is strategy, whether it's bluff, whether it's um, just to, uh, to sow as much confusion as possible. Um, I really, really don't know, but I think that the only way out of this, it seems to me, is that um, the, well, what has happened at nearly every stage of this is that the deal that has come out for Northern Ireland has tended to be worse than the one that was uh, on offer going right. in. Claire, do you think the EU bears any responsibility in this? Because obviously, when they set out on this, they had to make this an extremely difficult process for, the, uh, for Great Britain to get their way out of Europe. Otherwise, you ran the risk of this starting a, a, a contagion of sorts that the French have made noises, the Italians have made noises. So by its very nature, they had to put down a marker and say, this is not going to be easy and we're going to nail you every step of the way. So there's no doubt that politically, you know, kind of leaders and, 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 and politicians around Europe would be saying, yeah, well, hang on, you know, we can't make this easy for you, et cetera, et cetera. And potentially some thinking, you know, if we can decapitate Britain in, in a way, you know, it'll, it'll uh, you know, it'll hell slap it up them sort of thing. But actually, I, I genuinely don't think it's what's going on. The fact is, we are dealing with a set of rules. You know, it is, as somebody said, it's like going in and trying to negotiate with the automatic scanner in Tesco. You know, there's just, there's a, there's an arrangement, there's a set of arrangements for how this works. And while, as I say, you can give latitude, it's the basic principle that you can't have all the benefits and not pay in and not have any of the responsibility. So 
I mean, we literally are dealing with a bureaucratic, a rules-based order. Um, so, so while, yeah, I don't think anybody was particularly trying to facilitate it. And it's fair to say that, like, you know, some stuff around exit summary decorations, there were things, as I say, that the EU could and probably would have, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, softened up a little bit in. But the fundamental principle of the fact that there was going to have to be a barrier somewhere um, isn't isn't anybody trying to, you know, annoy um GB, it's just, it's it's literally rules. Glenn, how much of this is about sovereignty? I mean, you know, uh, Great Britain, it's, there's a hint in the title there that this belief that Britain should have sovereignty over what it does, when it does, and when it wants to do it. Well, certainly the, that's, I mean, sovereignty is, um, I, as the week has gone on, I think that's what's risen to the top of the uh, Conservative Party's rhetoric. Um, and I think that that's probably a word that would um, play very well to uh, many people who did vote for Brexit. Um, I, I mean, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the uh, ins and outs of trade agreements um, is beyond, uh, well, a lot, of, I have to say, uh, an awful lot of it is uh, well beyond me. Um, and uh, I think that um, that word about taking back sovereignty, um, that sovereignty is the, is the word that um, has, as I say, particularly um, uh, come to the, to the top uh, this week because uh, for, for those who wanted Brexit to happen, uh, that's what it was uh, about. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it strikes me, and, and it, it, it was reinforced by Backstop Land, which, you know, Katrina's right, is a brilliant read. Uh, although at times I, I thought it was, uh, I thought Spike Milligan had written it, uh, and it was the, it was Pocoon all over again. And the other thing, and I, I said this to you, that it brought to mind, when you talk about all of the different denominations of unionist parties, it brought to mind the life of Brian and the People's Party of Judea and the Judea <laughs> People's Party and all of the different uh, denominations that come within that. But nothing about Northern Ireland and it has ever been simple. So why would it start now? Uh, uh, this, well, it, it hasn't been. It hasn't been particularly um, simple, and uh, and and certainly uh, every step of this has has made things uh, even even more difficult. But uh, as I say, I don't think that Northern Ireland has ever been particularly uh, at the forefront of the thinking of um, of the Conservative Party. Um, and I mean, I just I, I mentioned there are people who who voted uh, leave, and uh, I didn't. And uh, if they were ever to run another referendum, which case we'd be going back in, that would be what I would be voting for. Um, but I, I, I try to always um, or try not to fall into the trap of uh, blanket con condemnation of mm. people who wanted to leave the European Union. Uh, not everybody who voted leave uh, was a dupe or a xenophobe. Um, and I think that sometimes, um, um, possibly we might be in one of these situations where, where we're broadly talking to people who agree with us. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and that does trouble me. Um, and uh, I mean, I, to give an example, and this relates to Northern Ireland, um, I, uh, and I do quote this in Backstop Land, um, uh, on the shopping street um, uh, around the corner from where I live, um, there's a, a Whole Foods shop that I go into quite a lot, and I went into the Whole Foods shop, and I was talking to the guy who, who runs it. Um, he voted Remain, um, but I was talking to him one day, and he was genuinely, I could see it in his face, he was pained, and he said, Glenn, I hear people talking about uh, people who voted leave as though they were stupid. He said, people come into this shop who voted leave, they're not stupid. Mm. 
this is what they think. And it really was genuinely paining them. And I think there's really, um, there is a, a kind of a, a job of understanding that we've got to do uh, about uh, all those constituencies, some of them in Northern Ireland, uh, many in the rest of, um, in Great Britain who voted for, um, voted to, to leave. Um, I, I think Claire has a visitor, have you? <laughs> <laughs> So, anti-child care. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, one of the, you're fine, you're fine. I was just going, I was just going to ask, ask you in the meantime, Glenn. I mean, in relation to the, the, um, the economics of this, and again, yeah. in, in backstop land, you're talking about quantifying the number of jobs that could be lost in Northern Ireland on the back of a failure to reach a, a trade yeah. agreement. Yeah. You, you put a remarkably high figure on this. Uh, oh, or to I, me. I, 40,000. Yeah, I mean, I think that might even be a conservative estimate, um, really. I mean, the, the, it's, economically, this is going to be disastrous for Northern Ireland. As, as Claire said, um, where, wherever you put a, a, a barrier or a border, um, it's going to have an impact, uh, as indeed it's going to have an impact here uh, on the rest of Ireland um, as well. Um, but it's, it's never really been, from the very beginning, of course, from the, from the moment the referendum was suggested, uh, anybody um, who looked at it could tell you that uh, Ireland and Northern Ireland was going to be particularly um, uh, an area where, which was going to have to be addressed first mm. um, and where the economic consequences were going to be uh, felt uh, uh, worse. Claire, I'm interested in, in your perspective as, as somebody who has seen this firsthand for the last while uh, in Westminster. In terms of, uh, I, I mean, we mightn't have a lot to be proud of in the south of Ireland in terms of our knowledge of this, but my God, I thought that the ignorance, I'm, I'm actually talking about it from a media context, uh, the lack of knowledge of the intricacies or anything to do with Northern Ireland, there was people walking across areas they thought was, was the border uh, and they weren't anywhere near the border. It was laughable, but very, very serious. Well, look, you know, bear in mind, it is really, really complex. And apologies for that interruption. That's I tough. had I had kept some sweets here for exactly that scenario. So I've just, in a fine exam, I've just flung <laughs> some Haribo down the hall there. So hopefully that, uh, that's going to deal with that. But um, the uh, so it, it is really complicated. And as you say, some of it is around, you know, the intricacies of trade. But going back to Glenn's point about people who, who, who voted or voted to leave, as they did, I agree, for really many reasons. There was obviously, there was a... There was a left analysis, you know, Lexit about about you know uh, the European Union being kind of neoliberal and responsible for austerity, and there was you know there was absolutely threads of 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 truth in that. And similarly, you know, there were people who are and have been at the really sharp end of the labour market and who have seen services deteriorate. But the fact does remain that Brexit doesn't solve any of these things and, and couldn't have solved, could only have exacerbated them. But because it is so complicated, um, it, you know, it, it allowed people to, to, to sort of spin and dismiss and create a narrative. And because it was such an open question, they, they weren't made to have any specific prospectus about what was um, ahead. But look, like, I didn't know, I mean, still, I, 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 I'm, my sister, who's, you know, bright woman, listens to the news as an accountant. I remember about a year and a half ago, she said to me, so which is the single market and which is the customs yeah. union, you know, after listening to it for, 
for over two years. It is it is really and why should people know about trade and about regulationary and, and divergence and all that kind of stuff? So yes, and I suppose then the the more touchy feely aspects of Northern Ireland and just all the sovereignty and identity issues that are bound up in this are really, really difficult to understand. And I think I, I suppose a good way to think of it is that the Good Friday Agreement was about not having to talk about the border and whether you look to London or Dublin and not having to talk about your identity and not having to talk about your sovereignty and Brexit is that means that's all we talk about. So um you know the kind of the technical aspects of goods moving and not being able to move is one thing but some of the some of the things around as Celine said sovereignty and, and identity and, and aspiration are much more complicated and you know you, you kind of almost do have to have lived here or at least studied it for a very long time to, to understand just how deep that can go and how much symbolic meaning um you know borders and so on have as well uh, it's interesting but, sorry, sorry claire, you so claire saying that about you said about your sister and the uh, single market i mean she's I, gonna kill me for saying that she's, she's <laughs> her, her secret is safe that's fine <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know about anybody else in the audience here, um, but um, I mean, I, I mean, the single market doesn't actually make my heart sing. You know, it's, that's not when I think of my sense of being European. Um, I, I mean, it's, there's there's a, a level at which I feel European um, that that isn't entirely encompassed by this this idea of the single market, and somehow it. I'm not saying it feels shabby, because of course it's not. It's, it's vitally, vitally important. Markets are vitally important, but um, that's, it seems in some ways that um, the, uh, yeah, my, my understanding of Europe and my feeling of being part of the European Union is not, is not market-driven. I looked this morning at the seven. I was, uh, there, there are seven institutions of the European Union, and uh, I could only get four on the first, on the first run down. And um, does... Does anybody know the seven institutions of the European Union? Please don't ask me that. Thank no, God he's I'm looking into the audience. over at me. It's like the leaving search. But seriously, uh, but so, the so the seven, <laughs> institution, seven institutions of the European Union are the European Parliament, uh, the European Commission, the European Council, the Council for Europe, is that right? Have I got that? The European Courts of Justice, the Central Bank, does anybody know what the seventh one is? The Champions League. <laughs> Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the it's the I, I've got my it's the court of I've got uh, my face. Yeah. I've, I've got my face on that I have at pub quizzes when I go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As you're texting under the, the table, reason, yeah. <laughs> the reason but the reason I the reason I say that is that I mean I I I did and I thought this uh, around the time that uh, of the referendum um, when I was so passionately voting remain. Um, and I, was, I, I always think to myself, I, I, do I actually under, fully understand what it is that I, I belong to or want to belong to? Um, and, uh, and so I think that in many ways, as I say, my, my feeling of being European and part of a European Union and wanting to remain part of a European Union um, is, is cultural, is emotional. Um, and you know, it should, I should understand all the institutions. I should understand how everything works. I should understand where everybody arrives, where the commissioners come from, who votes for them. Mm. Uh, I should understand all of that. I also think that if people who, who feel a different way about Europe 
uh, feel it on an emotional level, um, then I should also recognise that but, part yeah, of could, mine is Could the same thing too. not be said from the other perspective, from the Leave perspective, that it's that same uh, emotional response that maybe they don't understand all of that either, although sometimes that's maybe dismissed uh, a little bit quickly, that they, they voted for, uh, it was to curb immigration was, was the great one on this, but that the subtleties on both sides maybe were lost on both ends of the argument. There was, there was, I mean, I think you're right. It doesn't make people's hearts sing. And I remember during the campaign and I was, you know, it was the most street fighting election I've ever fought. We literally were doing stuff that we haven't done before, stalls and triaging the specific issues that people have because the media debate was actually shouting statistics at each other. Oh yes, but did you know 8% of our trade with Burkina Faso is this and that and not really speaking to, to, to people's values, I suppose, on it. And it is that it's about, you know, you know, unity and diversity, about not uh, having to compromise yourself to compromise on outcomes, et cetera, et cetera, which is what the European Union, to me, is about. But I suppose, and it is hard for people to grasp, the point is that even, you know, part of the Good Friday Agreement, and part of, I must say, just going back to what Katrina said about, you know, the value of the SCLP, part of what allowed the Good Friday Agreement to be sold, and particularly for kind of constitutional on military republicanism to 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 to, to sort of, uh, I suppose, prosper and win out in the 90s was about you know unimpeded access to the whole of 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 the island and if you know that's why a border springing up compromises that and of course that's why being asked for your papers you know when you're getting the ferry to scotland really rankles with people who identify as 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 unionist or british and i you know they're they're kind of the same thing just one of them is slightly more uh practical but it is it is you can see um mps across the water some of them who's glaze over but some of them just genuinely can't really understand you know why uh, why it has as we say it has affected you know relationships in all the strands the strand one relationships within northern ireland and it undermines the assembly and it undermines devolution and it has just driven a wedge between people relationships between ireland north and south because there is this potential barrier and then relationships between britain and ireland because we just can't understand how the other is being so re so unreasonable uh, but but i know that sometimes what just because you have to have your pun of strawberries checked you know it, it's it's hard for people to relate those two things Mm. And without delving into the whole world of statistics, there is a statistic that Northern Ireland's economy is 70% based on public money. Mm. So it is a difficult proposition for, I mean, could the South afford the North if we were coming to a question like that? Well, <laughs> that's, um, I, I mean, it, it is one of the first questions that's, yeah. that, is, that is asked. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not an economist. Um, I, I try to follow. I mean, the Irish Times all this week has been running um, a, a series of features um, on Shared Island. Um, and that has come up um, again and again. I mean, I, I think that the, the answer is going to be that it's going to include, it's going to involve um, a lot of um, negotiations, protracted negotiations uh, between um, uh, Great Britain and, uh, and Ireland um, and um, about how, how Northern Ireland, which will no longer then be the United Kingdom if Northern Ireland is not part of, uh, a part of it, um, then how it becomes integrated into um, an all-Ireland uh, political system. So I, I think it would take a very, very long time is my best guess. Um, and that, um, yes, there's going to have to be some kind of um, 
uh, assistance for quite some considerable time. Yeah, I, I know, Claire, that was a bit of a leap from where we were, but what it, what, I'm just wondering, from your perspective, do you think that the pandemic has changed anything? I mean, there's a certain logic to looking at the country as an island, uh, and it has been looked at as an island, if the same rules apply north and south. Do you think that has moved the goalposts inadvertently in any way? Well, yes, it has, because as you say, kind of one epidemiological unit, but also I think kind of the, you know, the relative success. And I know we're kind of, you know, on both all parts of the island, hmm. um, you know, sort of cases are rising, but the relative success is along with lots of other positive change, like a dynamic economy, like all the social change is what I would consider a pull factor that's making people who wouldn't have instinctively been pro-Irish go, oh, you know, that, that I wouldn't mind a, a piece of that success or a piece of that kind of cultural change. Um, and then, yes, you're right, the kind of push factors are things like the way the Tories are getting on all the time. So they kind of, they work in tandem, but you know, your your question about the, the economy is very, very real. And I suppose it underlines the fact that no matter how much I would love this not to be the case, there isn't an escape hatch marked, you know, border pole and Irish unity. And there are people who their answer to every, you know, bump in the road in every argument, well, sure, we just have the border pole and they'll all be fine. As Glenn has, has just touched on. Unfortunately, it will be very, very complicated in terms of, you know, creating a new entity. There are real economic opportunities just in terms of, you know, economies of scale and, and not duplicating services. But, you know, there's obvious benefits to the north from being part of, as I say, a much more dynamic, open economy uh, and, 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 and benefits you'd like to think for, for the south as well. But it doesn't, you don't flip a switch on any of this, as well as the many, many other um, issues we've got to deal with around, you know, rights and identity and, you know, continuing uh, economic integration stuff like, you know, if you paid your pension in the UK for, you know, the last 30 years, does that continue? All that kind of stuff um, has to be worked out. And unlike, as we've just been shown, how you don't do constitutional change, you know, there has to be a clear prospectus. And, and actually, you know, the Remain side, the pro-UK side will also have to, you know, clarify what that will mean and how the kind of imbalances in the union and all that kind of stuff. So just it, it's it's all it is addressable, and I think things like that Irish Times um, uh, series uh, and and my my own party is kind of uh, establishing a, a New Ireland Commission to try and you know look in in different sectors and different strands of thought to try and pull all this together. And there's the shared island unit, and and I think we need to be kind of structuring these conversations in the way that say the New Ireland Forum structured them uh, in the eighties. But unfortunately, you know it isn't. There's no magic button, and and it's uh, it's doing people a disservice. Those who imply that there is. Yeah, I mean, Glenn, that kind of echoes a point that you were making to me before we started here. That not just economically, but culturally, uh, there there is a, a huge uh, sea change. I mean, you made the point. I'll let you make the point in relation to uh, the the. The, the Protestant numbers in the south of Ireland vis-a-vis -vis a united Ireland. Uh, well, I mean, I, I just, um, um, I, I hope I've got this, this right at the moment, and, and, um, and I've got to say uh, always how uncomfortable I am talking in terms of Protestant and Catholic, mm. um, but um, I, I, I... I mean culturally rather yes, than religiously. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely, but, yeah. um, you know, the, 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 the numbers of Protestants living in, in, the, in Ireland at the moment, uh, outside Northern Ireland, um, I think is around about 4%. Somebody will correct me if I've got that wrong. Um, and, uh, and I think that there's, there, there's um, uh, I mean, Ireland as a, as a pluralist um, uh, 
country, society. Um, I think that the, there's, there's um, maybe a difference if you then have a, an all-Ireland uh, that has maybe 20% of people who um, are Protestant uh, by religion or Unionist um, by um, inclination and political affiliation. Uh, and so I think, there, I, think there are, I think maybe there are some adjustments that um, will take time for everyone to, to, to think about what it entails. Mm. Uh, I'm saying no more than that. I, I, mean, I, I mean, one thing, I, um, again, I talk about this in Backstop Land. Um, we always have this thing, and I think, Claire, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but um, I don't think this was uh, just because I was growing up in a Protestant um, household. Um, but I think we always had this thought that somehow um, socially we were, I mean, Northern Ireland was pretty awful in the 1970s and the 1980s, uh, but all the people who I knew, Catholic and Protestant, would say at least we're not living uh, down south because it seemed to be that uh, all things like contraception, uh, access to uh, abortion, not that there was great access to it in Northern Ireland, uh, all of these things seemed um, so much less liberal. Um, and uh, uh, last year I was doing the, uh, the big gay tour of Belfast uh, during Pride Week, and one of my uh, guides um, echoed what, I'd, what I just said there, and he said uh, it used to be uh, that we looked down on there, and now we look up on down there. Um, you know, the, the rest of Ireland has changed in ways um, that Northern Ireland hasn't actually been able to keep up with or really has been chasing to keep up with. Um, so I think, the, I think the contexts have changed quite considerably uh, in recent years. Um, but I still think that culturally there's, um, there's a lot of thinking to do about what that means to have um, 1.87 million people uh, currently in Northern Ireland as part of um, this um, United 32 county. Yeah. Sorry, Claire, you were going to say? No, no, just, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I must, like, I, as you said, I, I was born in Galway and we, we, though my parents were from the north, um, they'd lived in the south for 20 years and we lived a fairly north-south existence and we kind of, I still do, I'm married to a dub and, and we're in Galway and stuff a lot. So, you know, the, the, you're, you're, it is seeing it, I suppose, as more as one, um, one, one offering. But we, we, we're kind of squeamish, and particularly I think nationalists in the north are squeamish about the concept of regionalism. There's absolutely nothing wrong. I, I consider myself Northern Irish, you know. I, I, and I have as much in common with a Northern Irish Unionist and and Protestant as I do with, you know, a dub. And, and regional identity is very normal. As I say to people, have you ever met anybody from Cork? You know, if you think that there's a there's <laughs> yeah. something inherently non-Irish. Republic, yeah. The People's uh, Republic of Cork, yeah. Um, but but that that dynamic is so true about about just the the, the, the progressiveness in the south and and, and as I say the dynamism in politics and culture and I mean even you know events like when we think of culture in Northern Ireland you know there's a very vibrant and thriving cultural scene but politically when it's talked about culture is you know we we we've got two cultures you know it's 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 very segmented and we always think of the kind of you know it's it's either marching or Irish traditional music you know it's not. Uh, you don't have to segment things as much in, in the South, so it's just a lot freer and a lot of issues. Um, but I don't think there would be that much of a synchronizing problem if you acknowledge that it's perfectly natural and positive, you know, to have a shared Northern identity that's different perhaps to the rest of the island. Yeah, well, of course, on the culture front, it's a great movie you should watch. It sometimes called Good Vibrations, <laughs> uh, that tells the story of, of yeah. the cultural scene can in Northern Ireland. Of course, you can. Can I, by the way, just the right, I mean, 
absolutely like the one of the finest pieces of theatre. I'm going to actually do an ad for Glenn Patterson because Backstop Land was brilliant and it, it it looked at the Brexit and all the shifts and the threads and that, but some of the other stuff that's happening and changing in Northern Ireland as well that I think was really important. And just when you mentioned being a Protestant, Laps Protestant, uh, which I don't know how long ago you wrote the book, but um, it, it was really, really kind of formative for me and some of my uh, my 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 views around thinking. And Glenn, you write for people like me with a short attention span you know you write kind of they're essentially they're essays both books and i would warmly and heartily recommend them both to people as well as good vibrations in either and, I, and i'll throw the international okay, so i'm away home I, I, I'll throw the thank international. You, thank you all so much. It's been so worth it. I'll throw the international on top of that as well, uh, which is which is a wonderful read. But you, you've clear, you've kind of preempted where I was going to go with this because both of you have a lot of experience. You have more experience of the south of Ireland than we have on the north. I think, without making a, a general point in that, uh, I know that through uh, the SDLP and a lot of work you've done with the Labour Party, uh, you'd have a, a knowledge of the political scene, let's say, in the south as well. Do you think that we're very okay? with what is going on in the north of Ireland. It's easy to dismiss the Tories as not knowing what they're at, but how interested are, how engaged and how knowledgeable are we about Northern Ireland? I, I used the brand funny, I used it at the event we had. Um, Jeremy Ferner talks about a rhetorical empathy with the north kind of, you know, instinctively kind of sympathetic from the south. And I suppose, what is it that phrase about the integrity of our quarrel? You know, I don't expect everybody to follow every twist and turn of, you know, what we're arguing about now when if you do turn on the news sometimes it's about you know we sectarianize bus stops loaves of bread rave music you know kind of whatever the topic of the day is northern ireland can create a political sectarian row around it so i don't expect to kind of come along in every every bit of that but yes i think it's fair to say um you know people wouldn't have that intimate a knowledge um particularly now there's a diversity of tv channels to get that people aren't necessarily um and i think to be fair rte and the irish times and others do do good um northern coverage but i suspect people bounce over it in the way i might you know bounce over something that's happening in munster or something that's happening in wales or something you know you kind of you you, you pick up the headlines and i suppose like a lot in politics people are kind of picking their side kind of going well i agree what those guys are saying and i'm not going to follow the exact detail and the twists and turns of what the conversation's about i've just decided that i support remain or the tories or you know labor or whatever Mm. Glenn, and you spent time in Cork. Obviously, you married a Cork woman. I did. Uh, your own view on this? What would you think? Uh, on, uh, on on how much we know or don't oh, know, how yes, much so we how, care yeah. or don't care. Um, well, I think. I mean, I I I, I am. Uh, my wife is from from Cork, and um, and um, you know, I I read Irish newspapers. I, I listen to RTE, um, and and yet still, there are times where I'm kind of Ali and I are talking, and where we feel like we've missed a couple of episodes, I think is the best way to say it. And I think maybe that's the same, I don't know, again, I'm, I'm looking out into the audience, I don't know if that's the same, that um, I, 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 there, there is just um, still, there's, um, there is the, the possibility um, that you could get all your news from, uh, from uh, south of the border, north of the border, from across the water, and, and you would feel that you were still, um, uh, uh, you know, a fully 
cognizant of everything that was going on. I'm actually just not really. I, I, I'm not saying that terribly well. I wish I could just um, not have taken those drugs that I took before I came here this morning, and it would all be better. You told um, me they were mints. They, they look like mints, but that's always the deal. Anyway, um, no, I think, I think that there is, um, uh, again, there, there's just um, uh, perhaps... Claire described it very, very well there, that you kind of, you, you bounce over certain things. Um, it's maybe a kind of a headline uh, knowledge that you would have. Uh, do you know, one thing, uh, yesterday um, I was coming on the train uh, down from Belfast, uh, Dublin, then Dublin to Galway, and all I heard was people talking about points. It's just points, 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 yeah, points, points. And, uh, and leave, yeah, and, and so it was just, but it's, it's com completely alien. Uh, to anybody from from the north listening to that, and uh, I was watching the RTE news last night, and and again it was like a stock market of points, what was going up and what was going down, and what were all the all the factors. Now it's a, it's a very very um, simple thing in some ways. It's that's the it's the education system. It's it's how you progress to um, third level education, uh, and in the north, of course, we've got GCSEs and A levels. And um, and all that all the difficulties there have been around those, but there are two education systems, two ways of thinking, two ways of having a conversation about how you progress to third level education, and they're both very very different. And I did actually think yesterday that probably a lot of people who I was listening to talking about points in the same way as in, the, in Northern Ireland, people talking about GCSEs and A levels would be more au fait with those than they might be with the workings, say, of the European Union, which I was thinking. Of awful lot about as well yep. but you know they're, they're you know they're, they're two completely separate things they cross over my daughter's just um, gone to university uh, in in England but she had also applied to Trinity so it's it's not that nobody goes from Northern Ireland to universities here um, but the the way in which we talk about them and the investment that people have uh, in points and GCSEs and A-level grades is completely different I, I don't know how those two things come together in the event of uh, uh, a reunited Ireland. It reminds me of... Uh, uh, Tell you what, that's, so, yeah. that's going to be the easy bit. You know, you know <laughs> yeah. those are going to be the easy bit. Yeah. Uh, but one of the... One of the and it was a stark line that stopped me as well in, in Backstop Land. I, I think if I'm right on this, you said over half of school leavers leave Northern Ireland every year. Yes, that was, yeah, that was what I... I uh, are they leaving to go to college or are they leaving to not... You left and you came back, so is it a bit I, of everything on that? Uh, well, I mean, I, um, I, mean I, I did think that possibly at some stage in the, in the, in the 19, later 1990s, people who had gone away did come back. Mm. Uh, and, um, I mean, I, I, don't, I always thought of myself as somebody who commuted more than emigrated because, you know, I was living in Manchester. It was, it was so close. They used to send you your sandwich the day before because you didn't have time to eat it on the plane. Um, and, you know, you could go backwards and forwards. I could get from Manchester to Belfast quicker than I could get to Dungannon. Um, so, um, but, I, I, yes, I mean, I... I I think an awful lot of people are leaving, and um, as I say, my, my elder daughter has just gone, and in my family, everybody said, that's her, she's away, she'll not come back now. And that line, which, again, Claire, I'm sure you've heard this, what is there to come back for? So there is, it is a, it is a brain drain, and, and, and there's practical reasons. I mean, there's obviously the kind of, the fact that it can feel suffocating and, 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 and the staleness of the politics and the frustration, I think, drives some people away. But also there's a very practical thing. We unnaturally cap 
the number of university places we have, which is quite simply a funding issue and the executive and the assembly could choose to address that. And we export, I'm not sure about school leavers overall, but I think we export a third of our third level um, students and you're right. So it's a brain drain and maybe they do see the job and career opportunities to come back to some some of that's changing until obviously we went and brexited but you know some of that there are there are you know increasingly more exciting jobs and so on and if we keep you know the kind of uh, you know kind of i suppose renaissance and growth of the cultural sector for example was it was a bit of a draw but it's also a little bit of a reasonable drain as well i think the kind of people maybe who are desperate to get out are probably the type of people who might want to change the system and try and yeah. change the you know nullifying sectarian politics as well and I, I i have no statistics on this but i do think there is a big returning element as well i don't know how many you know couples i know where one of them's from here and one of them's from somewhere else and and the person from here always wins out and they always move to back to belfast or back to northern ireland i think there is a draw as well you know back to back to home and in some ways to try and uh, improve it but that's a practical thing as well as you know fixing the politics we we, we need to just raise the the mizzen cap as it's called uh, and and export so many young people it's it, you mentioned politics Claire and it it strikes me and maybe this is simplistic of me from looking at it from this distance but am I right in thinking there is something of maybe a renaissance is the wrong word but the SDLP your own party has two MPs mm. now it had no MPs before the last election uh, it was almost seen as though it got trampled in the in the grass uh, through the political process the, the you know the, the official unionist party on one side the SDLP on the other side and we know who had taken over the middle ground you also then have a growth in alliance, something of a growth in green. Is, am I right in seeing that there is a, a renaissance or a growth in smaller parties or less polarizing parties? Yeah, there. I mean, there are real changes. And again, I think, you know, Glenn mm. starts with some of those things in, in the book, available in all good bookshops. The one that pays its taxes, is not to say that. But, um, the, I mean, there, there is because there is an increasing number of people who don't primarily identify as nationalists and unionists. And I think, you know, I, I wish people shouldn't confuse that always with kind of ambiguity or ag agnosticism on, on the constitutional question because increasingly I put myself in that category you know I, I'm I'm Irish I'm, I'm a nationalist in that I believe in Irish unity and I believe in kind of governance of the people of Ireland by by the people of Ireland in all their diversity but I I kind of recoil from the, the label of nationalist or the exclusive label of nationalist so I just I think there's there's more trend of people saying look I don't really want to be put in a particular box even if they may have a view or you know and and the brexit referendum did show that there were people who didn't automatically slot into the place where you would expect them to by the statistics who are open to a pragmatic argument and yes just the growth of the green party in particular and and yes a resurgence of the center ground in terms of you know column and and, and my election and just i think um uh, maybe uh, you know some of the Brexit stuff has focused minds back on on kind of you know a slightly more complex analysis isn't necessarily um, a bad thing. Um, but you know there are real structural problems, not least, and it's a story for another uh, another day. But there's real structural problems in the assembly and in designation, and that's just the chokehold that the two larger parties have. 
um, on on resources and 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 positions of authority and and therefore filtering down into votes. But there's definitely you know green shoots, and I suppose if, you know the one positive of the European referendum is that it kind of made people as well you know well actually I am European and, and kind of you know feel a little bit more into those things and like the concept of something that we share in that way. Um, Claire Sorry, can I just yeah. say uh, Claire um, having um, having promoted my book um, so well thank you for, for I haven't that. written uh, a book. <laughs> no I said you yeah, but uh, I wanted something that's been in my mind I mentioned this to Dave uh, before we started talking um, uh, a, a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, there was an event in Belfast at the John Hewitt Bar uh, on Donegal Street, um, and it was for the uh, in advance of the naming of a bridge uh, in Belfast down in the Titanic Quarter uh, after Sam Thompson, the great Belfast playwright, um, and uh, who wrote the, a, a play called Over the Bridge, very important play. Um, and I was at, the, at that event, and I think, Claire, you were there, and uh, what was interesting that night was that I was looking, there were a lot of people who were um, associated with the SDLP, and, um, and I, I was looking around and I was thinking of the L in SDLP, I was thinking of Paddy Devlin, uh, one of the founding members of, uh, of the SDLP, and um, I mean, I think, Claire, uh, what Claire has done um, uh, in all her as councillor and then as an MLA and now as an MP has been absolutely brilliant. There is a there is a, a, a there is a, a, a an element of the of the SDLP, as I say, that I think has been um, really really important all the way through um, the the last few decades. Um, and, and it was it was it was there that was that kind of cultural. I'm going to call it cultural well, labour. Well, there's, there's, that's, the SLP has always been a broad church, and and it has been about, I suppose, that that element of working the common ground. But just briefly, I had organised that event because we had, I'd run a campaign to get the bridge named after Sam Thompson because he grew up right where it was, and he was competing with the newly born Prince, whatever Prince Harry's son is called, and Van Morrison. But anyway, we ran a campaign and we won. But the council, this is a, an example of that kind of staleness in the politics. And he, he was a very, very political playwright and he wrote about sectarianism and he wrote about kind of, you know, demagoguery and all those things. But they put up a plaque at the bridge and they said, you know, this is for Sam Thompson who wrote about school day. And you're like, that's not what he wrote about. So we decided we better we better have an event to kind of uh, talk a little bit more about what he actually wrote about. But, I, but there I, is, I mean, yeah. there's, yeah. No, no, sorry, Claire. I, I, I'll let, I, let you finish. But I'm just conscious we have about 10 minutes to go. And if there are any questions from the floor, if you can raise your hand, it's hard to see out uh, through the, uh, the bright lights. But if anybody does have a question, I'll come back to you in, in two minutes. Sorry, Claire, let you finish your point. Oh, I can't remember what my point was. <laughs> <laughs> um, has, has anybody got, uh, or have we anything, Sinead, from online? Hi, yeah, we have a question online, and the question to the panel is, do you think there will be a hard border at the end of the current negotiations? Uh, Straightforward, Glenn. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Where will the border be? It might be a watery one, but it might, it? there'll be softy, kind of splashy border, possibly, in the Irish. I, 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 well, I always, on, the, on the hard border, I mean, it's one of the things that mm. uh, perplexed me. And again, the European Union talks about the protection of the um, Good Friday Agreement first and the single market second. Uh, I think if the protection of the Good Friday Agreement is first, and everybody talks about that being that, well, then it's pretty clear what you have to do for that. Mm. Um, that is no border, um, no hard border. But I, I could never quite work out who it was was going to do it. Mm. 
it sounded a bit like, look what you're making me do. You've made us. We did it, but it wasn't that we didn't want to do it. You've made us do it. Um, so I, 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 my answer, my think, feeling is no. I don't know about you, Claire. Well, you know, I, I believe there won't be because there can't, but be, but that doesn't mean the threat is removed. And and I suppose some of the damage is already being done, as I say, just in in, in that driving the wedge and in in poisoning the relationships. I suppose, but I suppose explain where it comes from because it is people go, well, who, who's, I won't put up a border if you won't put up a border, it will kind of come by death by a thousand cuts. You see, because they they again back to this rules based order. That's what trade is based on. Um, you know, other. European countries and then businesses who trade within those countries are saying, well, hang on, we're adhering to these standards and we're adhering to these tariffs and stuff is kind of seeping in, um, you know, across the border or, you know, kind of fr from Britain and people are using it as a backdoor in and out of the single market without paying into that. So what you'll find is that companies and countries will sue and that's what kind of hardens it. You know, that's where the pressure comes to put up uh, borders. And the fact is, I mean, I, I, and I think if there was a way the EU would um, say, you know, we will protect it, but then the whole system disintegrates and the whole concept of the single market disintegrates if there is a big wide back door to it. Um, uh, so, but I think there would be, you know, it wouldn't be the case that if there was a, a no deal and the repudiation of the withdrawal from the UK government, and they are still saying they would do the withdrawal agreement in some way, but it, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be border posts overnight, but as I say, it would be kind of death by a thousand cuts and it would kind of be unavoidable. Okay, anybody here with a, with a question for us? I have loads of them, but if anyone else has one, that... Sinead, yeah, there's another, I think we have another online question then, yeah? Yeah, so another question here is, if the British government continue on the current course and ignore the EU end of September ultimatum, what do you think will happen? Claire, do you want to go with that one first? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I really, really, I mean, the stakes have just, like, look, if you look back to this time last year, this is exactly, it was going ratchet, ratchet, ratchet. And then Johnson just totally U-turned, you know, uh, the, the 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 his deal that that the oven ready one uh, appeared, which was mar you know a, a complete divergence from uh, from May's deal. Um, so he could do that. I I don't think he believes in anything in particular, uh, and he he could just kind of you know change, and that's kind of what we all hope happens. Um, but uh, the short answer is I just don't know. I mean, you know, people will say there is wee bits of flexibility in that deadline, but the fact is they've rejected the transition, uh, extending the transition. It would have to go back to the EU as a whole if they wanted to, to transition a bit more. And businesses are saying, look, transition is only worth uh, having if we know what we're transitioning to. So, you know, a cliff edge is a cliff edge um, to them. So the short answer is I really don't know, but the UK really is burning up goodwill because any extension will have to be agreed in every EU capital. But buckle up, as they say on Twitter. Glenn, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and do you, you share that? or I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm really not sure what... Uh, what I, I, I think that... Um, well, I, I mean... At every stage along the way, something has come last minute, which doesn't mean that we should um, give them any credit for, for that. Um, uh, and, and we shouldn't set any store by it. And there will be a moment where that doesn't, that doesn't actually happen. Um, and I thought, um, listening to the EU saying that 
Um, it, it's clear that the UK wants us to walk away, so we're not going to walk away, so we're going to stay in the negotiations, not because we think anything's going to come from it, just because we don't want to walk away because they want us to walk away. It's got to that kind of stage, so possibly everybody will just stay doing the same things, and that maybe, maybe, just maybe something quietly will will happen while all of that's going on. But, um, I mean, I guess the, what happens if we get to the 30th of September is, is that uh, without that, it's, we head towards um, no deal. It's, uh, no deal is no deal. Are, are, we, but, are, but are we kind of hoping we're at the megaphone stage now and that things maybe settle down a little bit uh, as that deadline comes very sharply into focus, or is that overly optimistic? I mean, that's what I would be hoping, uh, that that's what it is. But I was, um, I go back to the very first thing I mentioned, um, or one of the first things I mentioned, which was that um, piece uh, for ITV by Robert Peston, uh, that perhaps there was a kind of a longer term um, ambition or, or project by certain people around Boris Johnson, uh, which would say that anything is, anything in the short term is worth it to get, um, uh, get Britain in the place uh, to be at the forefront of uh, this fourth industrial revolution. Now, I, I don't know if I, but it, it sounded plausible as a, as a thing that they were thinking, even if it doesn't sound sane. Okay. Yeah, it, it is plausible. And I think it is probably what they're thinking, but it's it's bonkers and it doesn't make any sense. And you know, there's no point in leading all these things if you don't have a services agreement and all that kind of stuff. But um, it it I think that is unfortunately very optimistic because it's one thing, and I think at the start of the week before we saw this bill it could have just been a bit of ratcheting up of mm. tensions you know they send the negotiator on to mar and stuff but as i say the bill explodes that and it does you know it is it is much much worse so that's what makes me it, it's not just you know cranking up the heat unfortunately and, and i'm again i'm conscious we're going to finish up now can i can i ask both of you and i mean this is a really it's a very simple question and it's a very complex answer if we were back here this week next year uh, Glenn, I might ask you first, what do you think? How would you outline what has happened since? <laughs> in two sentences, and you'd be grand. <laughs> um, how many swear words am I allowed in there? <laughs> um, well, just that one, just repeatedly. Um, You'll have another book out by this time next year, which will be well, called... Well, you were saying you were thanking Boris Johnson for, um, for giving us something to talk about um, at this session. Um, my book, Backstop Land, uh, came out originally uh, on the 31st of October 2019. Uh, as I said, the only thing that came out on the 31st of October 2019, because the publishers <laughs> thought it would come out on the same day that the UK left the European Union. Uh, and, and of course, they got rid of the backstop immediately before. So I had a book called uh, Backstop Land, and the backstop seemed to have disappeared. And the mass paperback came out uh, just this week. So I think maybe they, um, they were just doing me a little bit of a favour by uh, bringing Backstop back uh, again for a week. I have no idea what it's going to be like in, in a year's time. We'll, well, we'll I, have I, a new book. I, 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 um, I hope I have a new book, but I think maybe, I mean, uh, I'm a believer and I, I, I always, again, I, I hate to say this because it sounds like um, you, you're just shrugging. I am a believer in humanity. I'm a believer that um, nothing is... Um, the final catastrophe until we get to the final catastrophe. Um, I think that whatever happens, um, I know what I would like to see happen, but I think that whatever happens, um, something, and again, I, I hate to say it because it sounds like it's a, um, a get out of jail free card. It, I think that somehow something will, will have been arrived at, that relationships will have been, uh, will be able to continue in some form, but I, that's a, that's a, a very mild hope. 
No, it's a, it's, it's a very it's a very reasonable hope. Claire, I leave the last word to you on this. I mean, I mean this this the same because you know everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's the end or whatever. It, it's <laughs> it's the fact. And again, you know, we talk about, about Hume, and if you look back over twenty five years of you know trying and and kind of wading through the sludge, and as he always said, the fundamental problem hasn't changed, so the solution hasn't changed, and the solution is without being all airy fairy about it it's relationships and it's relationships in those three strands and as glenn said you know it's humanity you have to hope that people's better instincts but it is walking that line between you know people are genuinely angry and i think disturbed by such a divergence from the uk government and such a you know a kind of a a, a kind of a walk away from a rules-based and you know international order and just good faith and good practice but you just have to r rely that most people do stay decent and most people you know want to try and uh, work through things but i do think in the context of of that and of trump i think the eu have a duty to and will try to keep you know uh, an order based system on the road and i think they have to I think they kind of have to stand up to that sort of um you know brinkmanship and behavior but i just don't know what it looks like well i think mention of john hume is probably a, a fitting place to conclude this it would be a, a wonderful post legacy to a marvelous uh, lifelong legacy uh, where we to come out of this where we'd all like to see can i thank on your behalf on the behalf of the people that are here also the people that are tuned in at home uh, can i thank first of all glenn patterson thank you and also Claire Hanna. Um, can, I, can I thank all of you for coming out today? Um, this is the first uh, yeah. time I've been uh, in a, at, a, at an event with an audience um, for uh, seven months. Um, and uh, I, I believe they've capped the audience here today, but this is the biggest audience I've ever had. So um, <laughs> thank, you, thank you all. Thank you all so much for, for coming out. It's absolutely brilliant to be here. It's absolutely brilliant to see you. And thanks very much, Dave, as well. And thanks, everybody at Black Box uh, and the uh, festival as well for this. Thank you, Katrina. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to First Thought. For more, visit the Talks page on Galway International Arts Festival's website, giaf.ie.